Hey, this is Albert Cummings, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. You were supposed to come to Toronto, I think, in the beginning of April. I think I was. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, and then things changed. Yeah, they sure did, didn't they? <laughs> how did that? How did the most recent pandemic affect you? Well, um, it's it completely put my music on on hold. Right. That's what that's what happened to everybody. I think, but. I've I've had this dual career thing my whole life, right? Well, not my whole life, but the last 20 years. I've I've been a builder my entire life. Right. And um I was just, just with this with this latest album um we really like started to get some really good traction and really started to uh see things starting to develop that were like Wow, this is time to really put my all into this. This is really going in the direction I've been dreaming for it to go into. And we have this, we for the last couple of years, we've been really super busy. My whole plan was I'll work extra, extra hard. I will create as much of a nest egg as I can and then be able to drop, you know, when the ball drops, go after what I want to go after. And we're still in in process with a with a pretty large job that is just kind of the job keeps growing and growing and growing and it uh it it's a it's a wonderful job and you know you, you once I'm involved with something no matter what I commit to I stick I stick to it and the timing of our tour and the album kind of over overlapped with uh, you know with still having this project going because it kept going on. So when the pan, when the when the Corona hit, I was at a point where I was a little scared because I I was wondering how am I possibly going to finish this project off and be on the road full time. I mean, we had dates that were, I mean, we were going to be out all the time, and we, you know the demand was finally there. So. Uh, you know, I always, I think, I don't know what it is, but I think it's in the high 60% of everything you worry about never happens anyways. And I always thought to myself, well, you'll figure it out, Albert. Something will happen. Something will figure it out. And um, I don't know. I, I try to see the positive sides of things, even though I'm guilty of seeing the bad side of things, you know. But but I uh, I... I was, we were two nights into a, we, I think we went out for about two weeks and then we were home for a, like four or five days and then we were supposed to go out for another five or six weeks and we were out two days and everything, you know, everything closed up like a house of cards with the, with the Corona. Yeah. So I was like, well, looks like I can go back and finish that job. <laughs> like I like I promised I would. I mean, when I'm when I'm away, what we've done for the last 20 years, I mean, Christina usually covers everything. But this is one of the largest projects I'd ever been on and and, you know, it's I don't like to leave anything, but you know, with the with the whole crazy thing and the and the world of unemployment, you know, when people, when all your employees can go get more money than what they get when they're working for you. I don't know how that slipped through, but um, right. it it made it so if I wasn't here, it really would have been troublesome for me. So, you know, that that problem was a different problem than what I had before. I didn't even know I had that problem, but I'm, I was relieved. It, you know, took me 20 minutes to tell you that, but I was like... I'm not relieved with the corona and all the the hardship that it's bringing yeah. everyone, but um, building is con considered an essential business. I think just because 85% of the economy is construction, and they just can't they just can't shut that down, you know. So so I was I was uh, you know, and I'm still working every day on this project. So I've got another good two or three months before I can let it go and finish it, and. 
I don't know if I'll be out on the road again for another six months. So, you know, I don't know. I think it'll eventually wow. eventually hit home. So, But, you know, uh, luckily, luckily, the, the thing that's kept me from music my whole life, um, well, I can't say it kept me from music, but it certainly, it certainly kept me from being full-time in music. But then again, um, it's, it's putting my, you know, it's already put one son through college and it's putting the second one through. And it's afforded me the ability to grow my musical career and do everything. And lo and behold, um, when things got shut down, it was nice to have that steady job to go back to, so to speak. You know, people say, don't quit your day job. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing I didn't. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because I always thought, not knowing you personally, but in the, I think the few conversations we've had in the past, I know that you've always kept that job. I don't know how, um, I don't know how you view that because I've had many discussions with musicians about, um, you know, being a part-time musician or a part-time mm-hmm. whatever, and there's often a conflict. Right. But I always got the feeling that what you did was, you know, you you concentrated on your career for uh, as a builder as one thing and then you concentrate on your music as the other it's a it's an interesting yeah dual yeah. thing that well you got going. um i mean it's i'm a fourth generation builder for one so that it was always been in my blood it's what i set out to do i ne- my you know i always joke my wife never married a guitar player um <laughs> surprise surprise uh, you know, she she married a builder and it was you know seven or eight years later before i got into music um but I've I've always had a dream of pers- I mean I I love to build things. I've won nine national awards, you know, for my cons- for my work in construction. Okay, I've never can you, won. Can you define what that is? Like how when you say you're a master builder, what does that mean? I, I didn't say I was a master builder because oh, wow. I don't think there's is such a thing. <laughs> Sorry, I read that somewhere. <laughs> Uh, no, and uh, people will say that. I certainly didn't say it. I've been called the master guitarist, and I and I, then I really know the person writing the article didn't know what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> Tell me what your role is as a builder. Well, I I was I was raised uh, in a in a building family, so to speak, and and I was raised by my father, who did you know kind of like upper and large residential homes that are really detailed and things, and kind of grew up with that. And my father's way of doing things was uh, kind of the old school way of doing things. I mean, he would he would pour some of his own his his own concrete for you know he would he would frame the house himself. He would side the house himself. He would roof the house himself. He'd build the cabinets in the house. He'd do the tile work. He'd do all the cabinetry work. He'd put the flooring in. He'd do the drywall. He'd do everything. And I was raised. Uh, in that scenario, which was very fortunate because that's just not the way of construction now, you know. And uh, right, so I was a, I was raised to be to really learn the trades and understand everything, and you know, um, be a part of every every piece of it. And and did you know that this is what you would do when you were growing up? I never had any other doubt that I never. I, I honestly, I never realized I could do anything else. It was a I'm Albert James Cummings the fourth, and right. I was the fourth son to become a. You know, my father basically told me I was a little kid. You're, you're obviously a builder. I mean, you're the fourth Albert. You got to be a builder, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know whether he, whether he meant that or not. That was, that's what it was implied to me. So, I never thought of doing anything else except for one thing, and that was. Uh, I remember sitting with my guidance counselor in high school and my father, my father basically said, well, you don't need to go to college. You can come learn the trades with me. And my guidance counselor said, Albert, you, you need to go and, you know, experience a little bit of life and, and, you know, get a head start on education in, if you want to be a builder, then you can, you can learn things. So I went to a school called Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts. And, I never dreamed of any other career. I mean, it just wasn't an idea. The only the only thing I thought about going to school for, instead of construction, was 
I looked into Berkeley School of Music. And I had played trumpet in school, and I didn't, you know, I learned to read music and things like that as 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 detailed as a high school student can get, you know, with a trumpet. Right. Um, and I, you know, I had fooled around early on with a five-string banjo, and I'd played, um, you know, basic chords on guitar. That's all I really knew. But I really loved the guitar. I really loved to play music, and I loved to do everything. And, and uh, I remember looking into Berkeley, and they and they somebody said, "Well, you, if you don't read music on a guitar, you, there's no sense of you going to Berkeley. You know, they won't even let you in." And that was as far as I got with with that with the thought of being something else besides a builder. That was it. But you did pick up the guitar and play and and the banjo and play around at home, did you not? Like yeah, absolutely. When I started banjo when I was twelve because I couldn't fit my hand around a guitar neck, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, I started guitar when I was like 15 or 16 when I could start, you know, playing. But I never I never did anything except learn the major chords and I could learn bar chords and things. But I was 27 years old before I ever played with a band. See, I find that fascinating. Yeah. It's, <laughs> okay, it's, so... It is fascinating. It's just like, you know, it's, it's almost like I was 27 years old before I finally came out of the cave, you know. <laughs> but, okay, so I wonder, at 27... When you started playing with a band, how good were right. you as a guitar player? Well, I would say I'm not a very good guitar player right now, so you'll have to take that into my account. But as far as where I am right now and where I was then, um, and if and if I could, you know, I'm not saying I'm a 10 on the guitars. I'm just saying on my scale yeah. of my guitar playing, probably I'm probably the better best player that I've ever been today than I was, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. So so keep that's my scale. And I would say at that point, I was probably a two and a half or three, you know, compared to where I am now. Um, I didn't know anything on guitar. I, I remember, I remember, God, I remember after that session, like, you know, of getting up and playing with a band, I remember the distinct feeling that I had when I, when that happened to me. My friends encouraged me. I was at a friend's wedding, and of course, you know, they're passing around champagne bottles, and they're, you know, I've got my liquid courage, and they were like, "Get up and play with a band, Albert." And I'm like, "I don't know how to play with a band. Are you kidding me? I couldn't play with a band." And and sure enough, they got me on stage, and I, and it was instant, you know, nervous, but it was instant feeling of calm to me. It was like. This is something I've never experienced. This is something I really enjoy, and this is something that has, you know, you talk about a moment that changed my life. That yeah. was it. It what, happened that day. What song did you play? Do you remember? Johnny Be Good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, well, what, what song did I attempt to play? <laughs> Johnny Be Good. <laughs> I still can't play Johnny Be Good. I've never, I've never, I've never I mean, I can sing it and play my own version of it, but I can't play it like Chuck did. But that's just me. I don't. I never try to learn anybody else's stuff. I don't care. I, that's what they did. I want to do something different completely, or, for, you know, I don't want to sound like Chuck Berry. So I'm not. I'm not one to ever learn licks. I know the basic lick of Johnny Be Good, but I. I don't think I ever do it right. Okay, <laughs> so you're 27 years old, and I presume yeah. you're happy with your career. It's not like yeah, you're looking just for something else to do. Starting to do really well. Starting to do really well. Yeah. Did you? Were you passionate about building? Still am. I still love it. You know, it's something that's uh, um, one of the greatest things in the world is to be able to create something. And this, you know, this this is one of the similarities in music. But, you know, my father used to say as we'd be leaving a job at, at the at quitting time, he'd say, look in that rearview mirror. And that's what you made today. That's what you created today. And that'll be here long after you live. And, you know, my father's homes are still around. His projects are still here. Yeah. And things that he's created, he left his mark on the earth, you know. And however long till the next ice age or whatever happens, they'll be here probably, you know. So, um, that's that's that was always prideful to me. And now it's kind of like, wow, I can make sounds, and they're going to be here too, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have 
it's a very prideful, um, old school type of thought that was inbred in my head. And so very passionate about it, very passionate about it. And if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And, right. um, but it wasn't like you, know, you, you were yeah. missing something. You loved what you did, and then you found this other thing called playing music. Yeah, this this thing came up and bit me, you know. Okay, so yeah. how did that that moment change your life? How did it affect you immediately afterwards? Uh, well, it's kind of like you just... It, 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 everything with me takes a while, right? It, it takes forever for me to kind of move along to things. Things happen to me, and, I, and it's not like, you know, the second hand clicks over, and then all of a sudden I'm now, my whole thought process has changed, and I've changed myself, and I'm a different person now because of something that happened. Right. This happened to me, and it, and it kind of like, I would say this was the spark in the forest fire. You know, this was the little spark that just kindled something and some smoke came out. And um, it, it, at the same night, uh, another guy, his name was Phil Remillard, he was, and he's still one of, my, one of my best friends in the area. He played piano and he played guitar and he played bass. He's kind of one of those guys that plays a little of everything and, right. and enjoys, you know, just has fun with music. Well, he got up at the same time. He was he was he was in my friend's circle of friends. He wasn't in mine at that time, but he was. You know, we had we had mutual friends, and they encouraged him to get up at the same time. And he played piano, and I played guitar and sang. And after we did our little Johnny B. Good song, we we hung out the rest of the day, and then we went and we hung out that night at the after party after the wedding, and you know then. We got together, like, I think we got together once a week for probably a, at least a year. And he would get a guitar, and I'd get a guitar, and we would just play songs together. You know, just sit around, and every Thursday night we'd get together. And that was like, that started to feed this little spark and a little smoke. And then all of a sudden, a little flame started. And then, and then it started where... Uh, there was some event coming up and they said, we need a band for this, you know, this party or whatever. I don't remember what it was. And we said, well, we, we just are duo, you know, we don't have anything. And they said, well, you know, can you find a drummer or something? And we thought about it and we knew this guy who happened to be, uh, he was one of my English teachers in high school. He was quite a lot older than me. <laughs> he, play, he played drums, but he lived in the area. And, you know, there's not many musicians around my area. So we put this little band together. And within, I don't know, within a few months, we started, people were starting to have us. And then venues were starting to have us. I mean, there's not a lot of venues around here, right? They're just places where bands will set up in the corner and, and, uh, and play and that was that was there was a lot more pop live music was much more popular then right certainly pre pre corona um so i don't know you know the next thing we know we we get a gig opening for kansas you know (laughs) 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 and i'm like you know kansas is that the band is that isn't that the band that like is that like is that like uh what is that song dust dust in the yeah, yeah. dust in the air dust, dust in the, in the air yeah. dust in the sun dust in the wind yeah, yeah that's it right yeah I didn't know even I didn't even know who Kansas was really other than you know basic outline of it but our area is a very uh, um, artistic area mostly mostly um, art and you know we have a I don't know if you ever heard of a place called Tanglewood, but that's in yes. Lenox, Massachusetts, which yeah, is yeah. close. That's where James Taylor lives, and that's about 40, 45 minutes from us. And you know, it's it's you know, Yo Yo Ma's here, right? And right. It, that's the type of music. It's a classical music area. It's not, you know, it's certainly not a blues world around here. And I always joke and tell people, blues is a state of mind, not a type of music around here. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> but that's just it. I got into the blues thing, you know. So, 
But I'm curious as to that kid who just not kid, you were 27, but you played at this. Yeah. You played one song at a wedding, and you kind of got the bug. Then you start yeah. practicing. What was playing live like for you initially? Well, it was just. Um, it's that feeling of calmness, you know. I think a lot of people. Uh, I don't know. I, I see it. I see musicians that are that are that seem to be in the music to get the attention for themselves, kind right. of thing. And I don't really even know that there's an audience. And I remember that night, I didn't know there was an audience at all. It's like, it's something that it feeds me inside of me. And uh, uh, that's, that's what I first experienced. It was like the first time I found something that, that triggered my heartstrings, you know, to just really made me pay attention to it. It was something that was, you know, something that was really really that I'd been I didn't even know I was looking for but I was so happy that I found it but and when you were at when you were growing up and just fiddling around on the banjo or the guitar you never right. had that feeling or the desire to play with other people uh, I used to go uh, when I was real young you know with the banjo um, we'd go to like a bluegrass festival and mm-hmm. I would you know those are the greatest uh I wish I wish there was blues festivals like that, but they don't they don't tend to have those. But bluegrass festivals are usually like they'd have the festival at a campground, mm-hmm. you know, and and they're at at night every fourth campsite was a fire with ten musicians around it. Right. So you'd walk around and you'd just you know any circle you walked up to you could just walk up and join in the circle and it's it's like. God, I wish blues festivals were like that. And, yeah, you know, maybe it's an idea. Maybe you and I should put on a blues festival like that at a <laughs> campground where it's just, you know, because mm-hmm. it's so much fun. It's so much fun because, and that's that's where I got the spirit of music. And, you know, of course, I was a young kid. I'm like 14, 15 years old. So I'm not, I'm not on the same wavelength as everybody else. It's, you know, they're probably like, what's this little kid? Get, get that kid out of here, you know? That's, you know. But that's the only other time I'd played with people. Wow. So when you when you decide that you're going to play and then you start getting gigs around your town and you wind up opening for Kansas, what uh, are you thinking? This is still a hobby? This is just a part-time thing? Well, um, I remember, uh, you know, by this time, I'm, I'm 28, my first child's born. I think I was 29. So right about this time, my first son's born. <laughs> so you have and, other responsibilities. Right. And now, so, so now it's like, <laughs> you know, it was like, that's, first of all, I'm starting into music. And I didn't really know I was starting into music at that time. I was just enjoying something new, right? But I'm giving up music when most people are either dying at it or giving it up. You know, 27 is the magical yeah, yeah. number where all the musical stars die, right? So I'm I'm starting at that age. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've made it this far, so far, but... But but just at, at that point, I mean, you're starting at 27, and, and you yeah. don't... What are your goals? Musically. Oh, my goals at that point were just... You know, I didn't, I didn't realize what was, what was, what was starting to happening, happen, but my goals weren't anything. I didn't have any goals at that time. I was just really enjoying this. I had all my next, my goal was, Hey, can't wait till next Thursday night or play again. You know, Hmm. Hey, we got a, we got a gig this weekend, you know, whatever. We're going to play this place. And, you know, uh, um, I didn't really have any goals. It, It just started to, uh, it started to develop, and then I, you know, and then of course, you know, in any band, uh, musicians come and go. You know, that's just the way it is. And I had a, I remember I had a conversation actually with BB King and myself, and we were in California. We were both backstage. It was just he and I, and we were talking about. Um, uh, I remember his nephew Walter King was late for the gig, and uh, his road manager came in. And he said, Walter's, you know, doesn't look like he's going to make it or he's running late or whatever. And, and Mr. King, 
Mr. King is what you called him on the road. You didn't call him BB. Right. You know, that was that was just a respect thing. And and that was you know, it was a wonderful thing because that he was deserving of every bit of respect that anybody could pay him. For sure. And uh, so he said, Well you tell him if he doesn't make it, just to keep on walking. And I remember him saying that. <laughs> and Walter made the gig that night, by the way. <laughs> Somehow he got there. But he, he turned to me right after he said that, and his his, his roadmaster, uh, road manager shut the door, and he turned to me and he said, ain't no one monkey going to stop my show. <laughs> and he said, that's why I call myself B.B. King. He said, because if my band doesn't show up, I know I'm going to be there, and I'll fulfill the contract. <laughs> and I remember him telling me that. And, uh, you know, I've always been from that. Well, even I made up my mind prior to that, but it was that was that was the that sank the nail, so to speak. Uh, I was always going to be Albert Cummings. That was it. I was never going to change or try to be any other name. I was just going to be my name because that's who I am. So but things happen um, pretty quickly for you after. You said, well, I like playing guitar at 27. And did, did you not go to the International Blues Challenge within like two or three years? I did. I um, Let me think. 27, I would have been uh, trying to think what year that was. I think I went to the Blues Challenge around 99, maybe, or okay. 2000. Nine, somewhere in there. I, I don't remember what the year was. But but that that happened because I... Well, once I realized that I really enjoyed playing, and I was already on, within two years, I was already on like the second or third version of a band because some guys, you know, the first round was like, well, I can't play every Friday and Saturday. I got things to do. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll get somebody that can. No problem. You know, it's no big deal. And, you know, then it was like, well, I can't go away for the weekend and, you know, you know, I'm going to get paid what? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no problem. No, I'll, I'll get somebody else. And, you know, so I was, you know, we were building every day. And then I realized that there's no way that I could start to grow this. At this point, I started to feel like I wanted to, really wanted to do something with this. And and I still never thought about even a remotely like a chance that I could ever tour or anything like that. But that started to come into my mind because I really enjoyed this. And, you know, we're in Williamstown, Massachusetts, which is the upper left-hand corner of Massachusetts. So we, Vermont's on top of us, New York store left. And I can see from my house, I can see, you know, from the hills, I, I can see New York and I can see Vermont. Right. So I'm right in the corner. I look at right in the corner and... The closest city is Albany, New York. That's about an hour for us. So I heard that they had a blues jam, a blues society had a blues jam every Sunday night. And it was kind of an open jam. You just had to call ahead and say you were coming. And right. uh, I called and I took the band over there and we played, we played a set. You know, it was kind of one of those, it was a fun time. It was a, a, place it was a small little bar that was full of blue society members it was their Sunday you know it was their once a week thing to get out and have fun and I remember we played and everybody just stopped and they looked at us and then they said you know we want you to come and play this event we want you to come play this event we want you to come so I started to open that up and then all of a sudden I started getting gigs around Albany New York and now I'm now I'm packing, starting to pack clubs in Albany, New York, you know, and I don't know why, it's just people are showing up. So <laughs> that's that's how it started. And then they had a, a you know, a blues competition or whatever to send a band to Memphis. And I was like, well, I got to win this. And, and, and we ended up winning it. And we went to Memphis and, you know, that, that was the beginning of that. How difficult was it to kind of get into the blues scene? You know, not very long after you did record your album, you also worked with members of Double Trouble. Um, yeah. You released a number of albums since then, and yeah, how easy was it well, to be accepted to that to that world? <laughs> well, I don't know if I still am accepted in that world. You know, I I don't know. I'm not really a blues guy. I'm I was put into that 
genre because some for some crazy reason in the United States there's like five or six genres and you have to belong to one of those. You know, it's like that's that's it. How, what do you consider you yourself then? I don't, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I consider myself Albert Cummings. I'm I'm me. I I I'm very strongly influenced by the blues, but um you know, and and I remember a guy telling me once that said, you know, blues is a big house and there's a room for everybody. And I'm I'm probably in that house somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. I'm but I'm 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 real influenced by country. I'm real influenced by bluegrass. I'm in real I love uh, I love good old American rock and roll. I, you know, I'm like I'm all over the place. So I'm not a traditionalist blues guy. Right. And I try to I I try really hard to not be any of that. I don't want to be I don't want to sound like Hank Williams Jr. I don't want to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I don't want to sound like Big King, I, you know, but on the same note, I want to bring uh, awareness to every one of those people in my playing because mm-hmm. those are the people that form me. So, um, I I got instantly sh- thrown into the blues when when Double Trouble came along. Forget it. I mean, how do you how do you do a how do you do an album with Double Trouble? And I didn't I didn't realize at this time that the, one of the greatest honors of any guitar player's life to be to do an album with Double Trouble, I would think. I mean, you know what I mean? For sure. I, I don't know, you know, but instantly I was um, there. No, he's a blues guy. Cause, you know, he's with that Stevie Ray Vaughan band type of guy, so he's he's definitely a blues guy. And, you know, it that, I guess that helps in some places and it hurts in others because people say, well, I don't, I don't want another, I don't need another Stevie Ray Vaughan wannabe, you know? So mm-hmm. like, that's the last thing I'm ever going to be or try to be. But, you know, I've had booking agents basically shrug their shoulders and laugh at me. You know, when I'm, I'm selling out venues more than any of their artists could possibly sell them out, but they have this image in their head that I'm some Stevie Ray wannabe. It's like, pfft. All right. So somebody who didn't play live until 27, I'm sorry to go back to that, but it just intrigues the hell out of me. Um, Mm -hmm. At what point did you think you had your own sound? Um, I I don't know. I really, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I dare to say that maybe I've had it all along and I'm just trying to get it better. Right. I, because, and I think it's not by something that I'm so smart that I figured that out to have my own sound. I think it's the opposite. I think it's that, like I said, I never learned Johnny B. Good. I've never, I've, you know, people say, well, what type of music do you play? And I say, Albert Cummings music. <laughs> I don't. I don't know anybody else's music. I don't sit down. Some, you know. I'm always amazed at guitarists that can sit down, and learn. And Stevie Ray was probably the best example of this. Stevie Ray could. Stevie could sit down. I mean, he could play you, anybody's style. I would say like, you know, just as good as the person did. Every little subtle, little, phrasing and and note and and touch of the string he could master that mm-hmm. and he could go in from player to player he could become that guy this guy that guy he could become any of them but at the end of the day he still was he could be stevie ray right that's the difference there's yeah. lots of there's guitarists out there right now they can do that they can play all these different guys but they don't have their own sound and that's what you want you don't want to play like the other guys those other those other guys have already lived they're already there they've already been done you can you can put their music on and listen to it anytime you want mm-hmm. where's your stuff what have you got to bring to the table that's not there so i've always focused on trying to be my own thing but i think it's i think i i lucked out with that because i couldn't I, you know even even guitar solos are you know i get compared to stevie ray a lot and i'm like it's it's first of all there's no i couldn't i couldn't even carry stevie's guitar case if it was empty you know what i mean i there's nothing i can do that stevie did to me he's the greatest guitarist that ever lived right but on the other side 
there's some weird thought in my head that it's like, well, I don't want to sound like Stevie Ray. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a compliment coming from the person usually, but I almost take it as like, really? Do I really sound? I don't want to sound like Stevie Ray. You know, mm. I I don't want to sound. I want to sound like Albert. So it's it's almost like I take it as an almost an. I I, I can't say that I can take that as an insult to somebody. I mean, like Stevie, I sound like Stevie Ray because that's the greatest compliment in the world. But I don't want to sound like anybody. I just want to be me. But what was it like working with those guys with the Double Trouble Band? Just beyond, I mean, I still get chills. I'll probably, if I'm talking about this now, I'll get chills. Um, Because, I mean, think about it. I remember this sums it up, this, this whole story, but I remember being down there and they were like, who are your influences, Albert? Who do you listen to? And I said, you guys. <laughs> They're like, well, who's your favorite band? You know, I'm like, you guys. I mean, I didn't know any other bands. When I started to, like, get into guitar playing, all I listened to was Double Trouble, Stevie Ray Double Trouble, you know. I didn't even know. Uh, I remember, like, I didn't know who Albert King was. I was a, I was a senior in high school. You know, I'm going back 10 years before I started playing guitar. I'm a I'm a senior in high school. I don't even know who Eric Clapton is. I remember I remember one of my friends making fun of me because I didn't know who Eric Clapton was. I was like, I don't I don't know anybody. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So what and were you listening I, to? I know you listened to a lot of country music, but what were you listening to that influenced the way you play today? Um. Well, when I I worked with my father a lot, and um, he had he always had a policy in in. When you were working, you could only have the country music channel on. That was it. So, you know, think of think of this is this is early '80s and right. mid '80s. So you got you know you got the Judds and Conway Twitty and Hank Jr. and and you know a million other people at the time. All these all these names. But the other thing is he'd always keep it on very low. You could you couldn't have it very loud because. You know, if you're working on a home and you don't want to, you know, somebody's home, you don't want to bother them. You know what I mean? So it's always a thing. But even when I'm working today, I don't have any music on when I work, which you'd say, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? But it's like I'm working with saws, table saws, skill saws. I'm working with all this stuff and I know myself. And when I if you put music on, no matter where I am, you and I could be in a conversation and, you know, one-on-one, and you all of a sudden somebody turns a radio on, I'll sit and look at you, and you'll think I'm listening to you, <laughs> but I'll be listening to that music. My head, my eye, my ears will go to what that guitarist, and my head's going, oh, he's on the seventh fret, he's in this position, I know where he is, His, he's on the, oh, that's the B string right there, and that's what goes on in my head. So, <laughs> if I'm working with saws and tools, I, I, I literally... I can't, I can't, I can't be productive. I can't get anything done because, you know, I take a measurement and I'm walking to the chop saw. And by the time I get to the chop saw, I know that the guy just played, a, you know, some little riff in A and I get to the <laughs> chop saw and I forgot the dimension. So <laughs> there's no, it's not a, it's not a way to have the music on. But was but that, some guys can do it. Was some that guys can the do case? it. Yeah, pretty much. I've never, I've never, uh, I mean, I've never, I only, I mean, you might think I'm, this is, that I'm fibbing here, but I've really only started to really get into music in the last year or two. And you know what got me into it was Spotify. Yes. <laughs> because, because. You can't. Um, well, because. You know, uh, I can like, I, I don't know, I tend to go all in, right? So if I, if I hear somebody, you know, I'm like, okay, I put that name in and everything's coming up. And I just listen to this person and I listen to what they do and how they do it and where they came from. And then I learn about them. And I've never done that in my life. I've, I've always, I've just never known or cared. And now I get into people's stuff and I'm like, I listen to it and listen to it and listen to it. And I th- and I love it. I presume and, that has uh, influenced the way you play. Or had it some. Has be- 
It does, you know, and and you know the second thing that's that's done it is the very thing that you made me go and find. Which, by the way, uh, after I was done looking, they were within three feet of where I started. <laughs> the headphones, because now I can listen to things like, especially when I'm in the van and we're you know when we're out on tour and I'm in the in our Sprinter and I'm in the back of the the back of the rig. Usually, I'll put these on because. Everybody else usually has got their headphones on. Most musicians listen to music a lot, and I'm just learning that, you know. So now I'm like, I'm listening to everybody and anything I can. So um, you can't hear any good music on the radio, so you might as well, sh you don't even need radios and vehicles anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, so I would presume you're, you have to be a pretty good businessman to be doing what you do in the construction business. Maybe I'm wrong, but I presume that you are. Well, I try. That's for sure. I mean, it's a every everything in life is a is a business one way or another. And how much has that uh, experience helped in 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 your musical career or your dealing with the music business? Well, that's the that's the key phrase right there, right? You just said it. The music business. Yeah. And I do come at the whole world of music in a business mode. And I think that hurts me a lot because there's a lot, of, I mean, especially in the blues world, there's a lot of people that don't, they don't have any idea what business is or business relations and, you know, how you, how you, you know, the, the trick in business is, you know, you get what you want in business by helping others get what they want. Right. And that's simple. That's the simple law of business. And... That doesn't always work in 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 the blues world. I I I you know I'm certainly it certainly helps when you're talking with venues and they they appreciate you know punctuality and you you I mean you you show up when you're supposed to you do what you're supposed to do you 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 do exactly what you're supposed to do and you give them more service than you're supposed to you know and that that's a, just a business mindset versus I mean, some of the prima donnas we run into is like, oh, we're so tired. We've worked so hard today. I'm like, you're you're a musician. You haven't you don't have no idea what work is, man. And you know, and when I'm done with this tour, I'm going home and I'm going to work. And you guys, <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, business helps, you know, but um. It helps with people who understand it. So right. when you're dealing with people that don't understand it, it doesn't it's it's almost like worse when you come at them with a business approach. They think you're they think you're bossy and you know you come on too strong and uh, you know it's just like and then you know where you're dealing with. So, so at this point in your career, uh, having I don't know how many albums you have, but quite a few albums, Nine. how do you approach? what you're doing like is there, um, is there a goal are there plans are there different goals that you set for yourself um, I guess every album I've set I've set some kind of a of a you know set it up of what I what I was looking for and, and I go down and I try to get it um, are we talking musically but, or are we talking numbers Oh, numbers? Um, no, I never worried about numbers. You know, I, it's again. I'm playing my music for me, right? And I'm too old to be a pop guy. And uh, you know, the the people that enjoy my music are are a small percentage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm although I'm a very well kept secret, and I'm we're constantly getting new people that discover us. Like, where the heck have you been? It's like I'm here, <laughs> but you know, I'm. Uh, but is that part part of the problem is because you have this other career, so you're not on the road all the time? Well, that's absolutely been the thing. Right. It's absolutely, you know, you you get a you get exactly you get what you give. And for the last twenty years, I've put literally five percent of my time into music maybe ten percent of my time into music the rest has been gone to construction because it's so demanding and so hard and so you know 
it's you've got to be on point. So I've been able to do what I've done with only a small percentage of my time. And that's what was just about to change. That's that's what is changing right now. That's the exciting things that are happening in my life other than Corona shut that down. But that's okay. Some, you know, this will all... Uh, society will will get through this right. somehow, some way. But one of the reasons why this is changing, I presume, is the work that you've put in so far as well as the latest album that you did. Correct? Yeah, be, yeah because everything... I, every. Every success that I've had, like people, people sometimes will say, what, what was your big break? And I look at them like, I never had a big break. I've had, I've had lots of tiny little breaks. Some, you know, getting to play with Double Trouble was a, was a big break for me, but it didn't, it didn't put me in a tour bus. You know right. what I mean? It, it just, it just, it got me to the next step of getting me another break you right. know what I mean it, it, it's cumulative so as long as you're moving in the right direction it's cumulative and it's all good has there been any um, miscalculations along the way um, I don't know <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot more than I even know about <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing that you said oh I shouldn't have done, released that album or there's nothing like that nah not, nothing I've ever released I mean I I don't I try to I try to do what I can with with what I have at the time and and um, I try to create Every every album I record, I think at the time is probably my best album. You know right. what I mean? It's like like we were talking about the guitar playing at the time. Um, I think each one is. You you probably hear me say after every album, oh this is this is definitely my best one, and I feel that way about the last one. Whether you know might not be my favorite one, you know what I mean? I think from the heart, my first one with Double Trouble will probably always be my favorite one. But I think just because it's so. A, such an emotional attachment to it. Right. Um, and it's my first one. You know, it's my first child, so to speak. Well, let's talk Not about that. the new album. Because that's a neat album. Tell me a little bit about it. Thanks. Well, um, the big thing, I guess, is that we did it in Muscle Shoals. And uh, so it has, a, it has a very different sound. Right. But what inspired um, that, that? The idea of going to Muscle Shoals. How that happened? Um, the... The simple thing was that I saw the documentary on Muscle Shoals. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, it's a great documentary. <laughs> it is. And again, it was it was months, maybe even a year after, that I was like, "Hey, why why don't I go to Muscle Shoals?" <laughs> you know, well, you know, because it takes me forever to do something. But um, so I, you know, Jim Gaines did the production producing on that album. Jim worked with before. I've worked with, you know, I think, at least, I, I want to say at least four albums with Jim. Right. But Jim, Jim's the kind of guy that, I mean, Jim and I have become really, really good friends throughout the years. And, and that's one of those prideful things, too. I think that's one of the greatest things about this music business is the amount of people that I've become friends with that I would have never met if it wasn't for that guitar. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I, I called Jim and I said, Hey Jim, do you know anybody down in Muscle Shoals? He's like, Well, yeah, I know. You know, it's like an hour and a half from Memphis or whatever. It's not far yeah. away. He says, Yeah, I know. I know somebody. I know these guys. And I know this studio. And I said, Well, I think I want to get down there and play. I want to do an album down there. He said, Well, they got a certain sound down there, Albert. And I said, Yeah. So, well, he says, I mean, I'm telling you, there's going to be a certain sound. It's not, it's not like you're going to get down there and get. You know, there's not a rocking guitar town. I said, all right, but but I still want to go there. It sounds kind of cool. I'd like to go experience that. He said, I'll make some calls. And so he made some calls, and he came back, and he said, well, we can go to this studio, or we can go to, you know, we can go to this one, or we can go to Fame Studios, which is where, you know, the documentary was based around. And I said, right. well, we got to go there, Jim. You know, I got to go to that one. That's where I, that's where I started the whole thing, so... Well, he set it all up, and he got the players, and he brought all the people, and and uh, 
I got on a plane and went to Muscle Shoals with, and I was, and, and this album, you know, I I went to, I went, I was going to do a full cover song album. I had no intentions of putting any of my own songs on it. Okay, so what's the thinking? Like, how did you come to that idea in the first place? Well, well, simple. I I did eight prior albums. I would put one cover song. I think about one. I don't think I've ever done more than one. Maybe I, I don't even know because I don't listen to my albums any. any once of I make them, not. I don't listen to them. No, I don't listen to them. Once I make them, that's yeah. it. They're done. And so, um, so you know, in in the world of, I don't get any. I don't get any play in country, right? I don't get any play in any other things because, you know, again, we go back to the genres. So. The genre of the blues world, well, if you kind of create some new music, um, it's rare that you'll get any play on it. The only play I was getting was the cover songs that I had done. So I'm like, every time I get a radio play, I get more fans. I get somebody can hear me, somebody wants to have me, somebody will hire me. I got to get more cover songs so I can get some more play. That was that was simply it. And I went to Muscle Shoals. Jim said, "Well, you you know make a list of the songs you want to cover." And I think I made like a list of like twenty songs, of you know what I would want to do and pick my favorite artists and blah blah blah. And I went down there and after like one day of playing with these guys and this whole vibe, I was like, Jim, I I got to do my own songs here. I can't. I'm not. I'm not gonna do. All cover songs. Well, you're the one that said you wanted to do cover songs because Jim Jim hates doing cover songs right. because especially like the way we work is like we create something new. So even if we're doing a cover song, it doesn't sound like anybody else's song. It doesn't sound like the original artist. Right. You know, that's that. And that's the way I want it. I want to sound if I can't make it sound different. I'm not going to try to match note for note for the artist. If you want to hear that, put the original artist on. What are you going to listen to me for? And, you know, not everybody feels that way, but that's how I feel. I, I think that's stealing, if you ask me. So you should give it your own personality or turn down, you know? That's right. how I see it. And uh, so, yeah, like day two or three, we started working on my own songs. <laughs> and so what was that, was that whole experience like, to, to be in Muscle Shoals? Well, I remember going into the town, and it said, Welcome to Muscle Shoals. Home to Fame Studios, and it's got Fame's logo on the sign going into the town. I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is where I'm going. And, you know, then I, I stayed at, the, uh, the hotel I stayed at had, uh, had an acoustic player every night or a duo every night. You know, there was music. Everywhere you went, there was music. It was awesome. And I think it was like day three in the, in the studio, and they said... Uh, you know, at Fame, they, when they tell you when you go, they say, "Well, twice a day we're going to give a tour of the studio." You know, it's a it's it's two room studio really, two right. two recording studios. So it doesn't it's not takes doesn't take long to get through the, the tours. And some days there's, you know, two people show up. Some days there's twenty five, thirty, even more people show up to see it. You know, and uh, so they tell you, "All right, well, you know, we're going to do it around three today." So you guys kind of plan that, you know, around three, take a 10 minute break and, you know, tour will be over and you'll be on your back, back on your way. So anyways, that, this happens for a couple of days. And then one day uh, we're all in the, in the studio together. And Clayton Ivy was the guy that he was the second generation swamper. And he was, uh, he was playing keyboards and the engineer that, that was working with us, the young guy, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry, but, uh, he also gave the tour, so he had to stop. He said, okay, I'm going to go bring the people in. So he said, you guys just stay in your position. So we're all sitting at our, at, our, at our instruments, right? I'm sitting with my guitar, and I got earphones on, and I'm right next to the drummer, and I'm looking at, looking at Clayton, and, and we're all in the studio, and in walks like 25 people. And, you know, it's funny because they're most are mostly like Europeans that come in to see the, right. to, you know, because... Uh, I don't know why, but Americans just don't... <laughs> they're just yeah, not true. as interested in, in American music as the Europeans are. So, um, so you just start saying, well, and this is, uh, this is controlling, you know, this, this record was cut here, and this record was cut here. 
And this keyboard over here is the keyboard that Aretha Franklin was sitting at when she cut Never Loved a Man. And at that moment, Clayton went into the riff of, you know, I never loved a man. Dun, 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 dun. He's, he's doing that on the keyboard. And, I'm, and it hit me right then. I was like, oh, my God. I'm in Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That, it really, that's, that's what happened to me at that moment. And I was, I was almost like floored from the rest of the session on because I was like, I never gave it a thought. I don't. It doesn't matter where I go play. I'm just going to play. Like you know, I said there's not there's not an audience right. to me. I I try to become a member of the audience and listen to what I'm going to come up with because I have no idea what I'm going to do, and that's how I try to go into the studio. <laughs> and now I'm now I'm thinking, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> then I started looking at all the pictures on the walls and stuff. You know, I'm seeing Hank and I'm seeing Jerry Reed. I'm seeing Waylon and I'm seeing, I mean, you name it, the yeah. people that that have recorded in that studio. Dwayne. And then, yeah, and Dwayne Allman. So, and then, like, two days later, I'm in, they had some some TV thing. We stayed late, and we were working. But they had a, they did a, they do this little live TV show from the studio once a month or something. And they were doing that in, in the Studio A or number one, whatever it was. So we had to go into B or number two. And, and uh, I'm sitting there in the studio, plugged in, and I'm working on a guitar thing. And I look up on the wall, and there's this giant poster, Dwayne Allman. And I look behind him, and I see something that's familiar. And I look behind me, and it's that same thing. And I look, <laughs> and I'm like standing in the same spot Dwayne Allman was standing. So that was that was my Muscle Shoals experience. Just like, um, it, it's just you know, it's different for me being a northeastern person. You know, you know, northeastern's kind of a. Uh, you get it more towards the cities, but it's not as friendly of a place as when you go down south and everybody's like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, everybody's right. friendly. And but the the ability to no matter where you went, if you stopped in for a Hamburg somewhere or something, you know, there'd be somebody playing a the guitar there. It's just you know everybody that lives there seems to be involved in the music business. Yeah. You know, and and you and then you'll be sitting there. I remember one night at the hotel and the guy's playing and. Some guy started talking to somebody. He's like, yeah, he wrote this hit and that hit, and he wrote this for this guy and that hit. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is serious stuff. These, these are major, major people that are involved in, you know, that just live there. They yeah, make their yeah. living in the studios. It's awesome. Did, did the sound did the sound that you got out of the album, was it, was it what you'd imagine it would be? I, I guess. I didn't know what I was going to get. I knew they had a sound, and... I think what was cool is this this album. I've always I've always had a tendency to go in and do an album that I can replicate exactly when I'm out on the road. And this one I wanted to go in and make a record that people could listen to. And you know, if I don't have my horn section whiz, I can still cover it somehow. You right. know. So this album, I Jim said Jim Jim really took the reins on this album. You know, he did all the Huey Lewis stuff and he did Santana. Obviously, Stevie Ray's in Step and yeah. Santana and all of Steve Miller. Steve Miller, and you know, Jim's Jim's like one of the most amazing people I've ever met. But mm -hmm. you'd never know it talking to him. So he's like, Albert, we got to put some horns on these songs. I'm like, okay, Jim, whatever you want. You think we should? You know, I don't know really much about how to do that. He said, I got the guys, and he he <laughs> he brings in these guys. And he's like, I, you know, Queen of Mean. I don't know if you heard the horns on that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I need something, you know. And he starts talking horn parts, and I'm like, you're talking a whole different language to me, Jim. I don't even know, you know. This is how advanced he is. This was the first time that I saw Jim Gaines, kind of like, you know, usually you're riding along in the wagon, and Jim's like, you know, he's riding shotgun. He's sitting with you, and he's letting you do whatever you want to do. You know, and you're steering the you're steering your team where you want to steer steer it. But Jim on this album was like, "Give me those reins," and he's like, "Get up!" <laughs> and he starts. You know, he he just took it over. He's like, "I want this and I want that," and he's he's yelling out control room. He's talking and he's going over the over the mic and the talk back, and he's he's barking orders and and I was like, "Oh my god!" And you know. I think I think it's one of the most fun albums I've ever put out. I don't 
I don't think it gets much play. I don't even know if it, everybody knows it out. I got it out with Provogue Records, which was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And I think we released it a week and a half before Corona hit. And that was like, you know, that's like putting it in the vault and shutting the door. Because if you're not out touring records, you don't sell them. So do you, do you have conversation with the record company saying, where do we go from here? Do we start oh, it? <laughs> I have no idea. It's like, uh, I don't know what the record labels are thinking. You know, they're they're like, I don't know if they say, uh, well, Cummings didn't sell any records. We're not going to have him back. I, I don't even know, you know. Yeah. It's very hard to tell. They're, everything's quiet right now, all across the board. Do you think, of, do you ever see a day when... when Music will be the primary focus, and building will be secondary. Yeah, yeah, I That's do see goal. that. I, yeah, I do see that. I see that as soon as Corona's over, as soon as, as soon as we're back out, because I think Corona's given me that. It's it's that door slammed in my face that I told you about earlier. Yeah, it's like I was just about ready to get some momentum going, and there it was. I got that door shut in my face, so I'm extra eager and extra hunger. And now I've never been able to go on the road where I haven't been, you know, been on the road and be on the phone and be working during the day, talking to my guys or talking to what's going on or talking to the trades and working from the road on top of trying to be on the road. So I, I've never given it 100% and I plan to. So we'll see what happens. But I, I, I expect to like, not be so much of a secret anymore because hopefully I'll be able to get myself out there. My last question. You, you talked about when you're out there, you, you constantly gain new audiences. Right. I don't know if it's fair to ask you this, but why do you think that is? What is it about you that attracts other people? Well, yeah, I think gaining new audiences and I think our venues are, are really quickly jumping up just almost as fast as they jumped up when I started from playing a small bar to playing, you know, a big bar. You know what I mean? It's like we're we're starting to go into these venues where it's like, and we're packing them. But what is and it I about you that, that does that? Like, how do you well, pack that? Do you know how to, I, I, do you know what that is? I don't know. I don't, have a, I don't have a secret formula, but all I can say is that I try to write things from real life experiences and I've lived, you know, I'm not a young person. I'm 52. And I'm like a wagon wheel. I've been through it. And I try to write my songs as real as I can. And I think people relate to it. But I think the big thing that brings people to our shows is that um, they know that they could watch us. I mean, we've had, I had a couple follow us for 17 shows once on all around the country. They followed us everywhere. And he said every show was a different show. We never saw you play anything even if you played the same song, it, you'd never know it. And that's what we do. We go out and we play the room. We go out and we, we, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out what the audience enjoys, and that's what I bring them. You know, I can tailor my set. I could, I could go straight into one. I can go down a country road if I have to, or I can get on. I can go straight blues. I can go straight rock and roll. I can go anywhere you want me to go. And I'm kind of like, I give it my all, and I, and I give it everything I have, and I, if I don't get reception on a certain song, then I stay away from that one, you know what I mean? I stay away from that style. How did and you I learn that? It and, Is it just, what you, just from playing experience? How do you learn something I think like so. that? I think so. I think, it's, I think it's called paying attention to your, uh, you know, and this, this, this I, I think, you know, I did 26 shows with B.B. King, and I would watch him every night. They, they told me that I was the only performer they'd ever seen that would sit on every show and watch him from side stage. I would sit and watch him. I would set up my little chair and I would sit and watch him every night and I would watch him and how he entertained the crowd. And he believed, and you can hear it, like there's, uh, Bill Wax did a lot of interviews with B.B. King back when, and with right. XM and Sirius and you still hear these cuts and B.B. will talk about you're the entertainer, not them. You know, I'm not exactly sure of what his words were, but you're the entertainer. You're supposed to go out and entertain those people. They paid to see you. 
you know, they're not entertaining you. You don't, you don't, you're not playing for yourself up there. You're, you're there to give them a show and give them something that they can't buy in a store. You know, basically, I'm, I'm putting my own words into this, but basically comes from what I learned from him. Yeah. And I think it's a part of paying attention, you know? And, you know, as you, as you go out in the country and you start learning, there's different pockets where you go and, you know, certain places you you get better reception of different things. And I, I can't tell you what area is better for what, but it seems like I just kind of know when we get there or whatever. So it's, it, it's about, I'll give you my old cliche thought, but I believe there's two types of musicians. I believe there's creators and I believe there's performers. And the performers perform what the creators created. So I try to be a creator. I don't ever want to be a performer. I want to create. And as long as I'm creating, when people come to our show, they sit back. They do not hear the, you know, I, can't, I don't use a set list on purpose. Because if you're thinking, you're stinking. <laughs> so I have nothing in front of me where I can say, okay, now we're going into song number three. This is a song. And I, you know, you go to, you, when you hear these bands and they go, and this is that, and this is, and this was done in 1957, and the, and it's it's a spiel, it's a spiel, right? It's yeah. it's you're losing your audience. So they didn't come to hear you talk; they heard they came to hear you play. So <laughs> you you gotta play for them, and we play, and we never stop from the first note till the end. I rarely I rarely will. Uh, will bore somebody with my opinions about things or whatever. I will just like play the music. So I think that, I think people love that. They get their money's worth, I think, I, hopefully. <laughs> and they keep coming back. <laughs> so maybe they are, but it's just, we're, we're going to give it our all and we're going to try to create every night. And I might play the same song tonight as I will tomorrow. Or, you know, I never, never use the same set. Although if I'm out touring Believe, I'm going to be playing these songs, but... They're going to be different every night because they're going to be how I'm feeling that day. Right. Every, you know, how I play the guitar is how I'm feeling. And if I'm honest with my feelings and my, my thoughts coming through my guitar, it's, a, it's completely like my voice. It's completely different than anything else. So I just try to be myself. And, and there's a, the old quote I love is, be yourself because everybody else is taken. Albert, thank you so much for doing this. Well, I really you. appreciate you doing this. All right. Thank you, too. Thank, thank you, you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.